Welcome back, Art World. I am Miss Art World, or Catherine, and we have a new exciting episode. I'm here with my co-host, Lisa. What's up? <laughs> How's it going? How, are you good? I'm great. You're good? I'm ready to talk about art. Perfect. So we're doing something really exciting for this podcast. We are doing a long-distance call with an artist, um, Josh Hagler is on the other line. Hello, Josh. How's it going? Good. Very good. Thank you for uh, tuning in from Arizona. It's New Mexico. Darn it, New Mexico. My life is so hard right now. You are just taking so many losses today just in life. Why did I think you were in Arizona? Okay, New Mexico. (laughs) Yeah, hello. Hello. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I thought so, you guys left for a second. I thought you were gonna like do it again or something. <laughs> well, let's just. Should we keep rolling? Let's keep rolling. Let's keep it transparent. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the... The silence happens when we just take losses. Just a piece of uh, that silence you heard was a piece of Catherine's just like dignity dying. Soul dying. <laughs> well, they're oh, they're neighbors. They're both in the southwest, so it uh, it makes sense that you would think one was the other. Don't stick up for me. Let yeah, me. don't. She needs to feel this one. I'm working on her states. She's teaching me about art. I'm teaching her geography. It works. <laughs> so, Josh, um, your Instagram is amazing. Oh. Uh, if people are just tuning into the podcast, can you share your Instagram so that they can start looking up your artwork? Uh, yeah. Um, my Instagram name is Hagler Josh. H A G L E R. J-O-S-H. Um, seems to be the one it gave me automatically back when I signed up. I really don't know how I ended up with that name. And then do you have um, a website as well? Yeah, it's joshuahagler.com. So, so smooth. I love that. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Great marketing. Nice and easy. So let's get into your background a little bit. Did you grow up wanting to be an artist? Any art schooling? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up wanting to uh, draw comic books. I used to make up all these superhero stories, and uh, I wanted to write, and I wanted to draw, and all this stuff. I didn't grow up knowing anything about the art world. I had never been to an art museum. I didn't know much about art history, um, any of that stuff. So I was very, uh, I grew up in a very small town, um, much smaller even than the one I'm living in now. So uh, I just didn't really have. Um, a lot of contact uh, with the art world, even all the way through school. I got my degree basically in graphic design at the University of Arizona. And um, that was in fact, the first time I'd ever even been to an art museum was when I was hired as a, as a security guard at the university museum there. Um, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I didn't really have uh, much of a background in that sense. And um it's just something that happened gradually with time. That's awesome. So is working in the museum what like in- started to inspire you to paint and everything? I mean, I was always interested in art in the sense that I wanted, you know, that I was drawing and stuff like that. And I think, uh, you know, once you're in school, um, you're taking any number of courses. So uh, I had some painting classes. I had one um, professor in particular that I had a really good rapport with and who I admired a lot named David Christiana. And um, I wanted to know how to do what he did, basically. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, so that, that kind of taught me my basics really, you know, like, um, he was very good about, um, teaching us the sort of like academic kind of basics of painting. And, um, that's, that, that was kind of what I stuck to for quite a few years before I broke out and started doing different sorts of things. But when I got out of school, um, I was working different day jobs and, you know, trying to get different graphic design and illustration gigs and stuff like that. I actually did work in comics for uh, a little bit um, here and there, never in a full-time capacity or anything like that. But um, whenever I wasn't getting these kinds of um, jobs or whenever I was getting frustrated with an art director or something like that, then I would make my own work. And um, uh, now and then I would get invited to be in a group show or something like that. This was San Francisco at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. graduated in 2002. So maybe we're thinking like 2004, 2005, you know, around those years was when I started painting, um, more seriously. Okay. Um, and, uh, basically it just took over my life, um, where I just didn't even want to be trying to get commercial gigs anymore. I would rather just work a day job and work on my own art when I wasn't at my day job. So, um, that's what I did for, uh, a number of years. Okay. Is your, cause it sounds like you weren't, um, around art, uh, museums or anything growing up. Is your family supportive of your art career now? Um, you know, I, whenever I hear people talk about their families, I feel like they, they either go and call them A or call them B. They either try to warn them against ever doing something like that, or they're, uh, really supportive and they show up to their art shows and whatnot. My family is like this neutral zone where nobody ever tried to tell me not to, but nobody ever got too interested either. And (laughs) so it's, um, you know, I mean, well, I hate the idea that they might listen to this and then feel like, uh, you know, that I didn't, uh, that they're more interested than maybe I understand than I think, but I don't, I kind of doubt they'll listen to it. But, um, yeah, it, it definitely, my family wasn't where I looked to for um, support in my work. Uh, I think actually they feel overwhelmed by it and maybe even a little frightened of it. And I don't think they know what kinds of questions to ask. So they don't ask questions. Um, mm-hmm. And that probably isn't that uncommon if somebody's coming from a background where, uh, oh, I should probably also uh, explain that I was the first in my family to go to college at all. So that kind wow. of thing, kind of uh, maybe more of a context for why maybe they wouldn't have a lot of exposure to art or know how to respond to it or something like that. What type of questions do you think they would want to ask? That's a great question. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Lisa's done. The, she's done her job. I, I will leave now. <laughs> I think they'd probably want to ask why I do it. Uh, because I don't think they quite understand that. Or like, you know, they have asked at certain points, like, why do you make stuff that's scary? Why don't you make something that, you know, is nicer or something like that? Um, And that's just very hard to explain. It's very hard to explain to somebody how art making is the way in which you, you try to understand the world that you live in, you know, Um, that it's a mode of thinking. Um, and I don't know that you can really explain that. I don't know that that is ever, that even sounds believable to somebody hearing that, you know, from the outside. But um, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know what else um, to ask. So talking a little bit about your work, um, and because we're on a podcast, yep. uh, do you want to just kind of explain um, your style and maybe how your pieces look for someone who's just kind of tuning in? Mm. Yeah, well, right now I'm working on um, a body of painting. So mainly I'm a painter. Um, and in, over the past couple years, um, I've kind of created this process where I'll make a painting. Usually the, the paintings are figurative and usually I deal with history or art history or some aspect of culture where I'm looking at a certain kind of image or set of images and responding to it because um, there's an opportunity in, in, in what I'm seeing. Maybe there's something in the image that's different from the intentions of either, say, the original painter or from the filmmaker or or whoever it might have been in history. And um, I'm responding to those images through my own paintings. And then um, I work in layers. So I will, I create this layering process by which uh, there's one image sitting on top of another one and I start to scrape it away so that every time I'm adding to a painting, um, there's a large part of it that's being subtracted at the same time. And then what I end up with in the final painting is um, something of a discovery. It's hard for me even to uh, try to describe that, what they really look like. Um, but they have this kind of uh, erasure, erosion. I think, you know, people have told me there's a sense of violence in the work. Um, and there's definitely a lot of frenetic energy to it. And you said you find images like from history. Uh, where do you, are you looking for just um, like old masterpieces or movie scenes? How do you find those images that you're then using? Um, sometimes I know the answer to that question and sometimes I don't. Um, but it's really not about a painting itself. It's not about a film itself. Um, I'm always dealing with layers of meaning. So um, it probably would have something to do with something that's going on today. And that probably would have something to do with, uh, with my life, you know, either with my own um, history, uh, say in my background, or um, just something that I'm aware of that's going on in the world. So um, <clears throat> like, what would be a good example? Uh, I actually was just looking at a um, some videos of Michael Jackson dancing. Um, mm -hmm. I had just watched the uh, uh, documentary Leaving Neverland um, in which uh, um, these, well, they're men at this point, they're grown men, but they were boys at the time when Michael Jackson was at the height of his fame and um, he had sexually abused them and they're kind of coming out about that. And, uh, a lot of their stories um, felt very familiar to me and watching that documentary was very emotional for me. And uh, so I, when I was watching these videos of Michael Jackson, um, I saw this one where he's kind of standing above like a wind machine and uh, with his arms out and there's like a fan underneath. So it's like sort of blowing his shirt up is an effect that he used to like to do in his concerts and so on. And, um, but when you still that image, uh, he, sort of has the image of like a, like a crucifixion. And um, so there is already kind of a, 
uh, a couple of reads on that image. Um, and uh, I think that I was interested in disillusionment. So I was interested in the way that those kids were disillusioned uh, in terms of their hero, the way that we might be culturally, because he has such an immense um, effect on the culture in general. Um, and also because uh, I grew up in a pretty religious environment and um, I think uh, I could describe my life in many ways as kind of a series of sort of disillusionments um, from the time I was a kid till I was older. So I, so I feel like I have like a sort of personal kind of response to this image. And, um, and when I see something like that, it, it, it just there's just a special way in which it kind of clicks into my mind. Like I know that I need to address this in some way. And with that particular image, I was very direct about it. I'm not always so direct, but uh, in this case, um, what you're seeing on the canvas is, uh, you know, the same pose that you would have seen in the still image. And that one is titled, um, my God. Yeah. yeah. And it's um, has a lot of like blue colors and, the figure uh, looks illuminated like from his around his head. He almost feels like he's floating. Yeah. Um, his feet don't touch the ground in the painting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with most of your pieces, do you have a concept going into it that you're trying to address? Yeah, historically, my work has been actually quite conceptual. And when I would conceive of a show, I would conceive of it uh, together as a body of work. And that usually meant that it was grounded in painting. Uh, and there would be some maybe installation, animation, video, things like that as well. Um, but I would say in the recent past, um, that has become less important to me. Um, like I've made some paintings recently that actually comes from dream imagery and stuff like that, which I would never have allowed myself to do years ago. Um, I suppose there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but um, regardless of whether I'm conceiving of a whole show at once or I'm just um, thinking of, of uh, an individual painting or something, um, there usually is uh, uh, a reason for it. Um, you know, even when I did a painting recently that was responding to um, some Max Beckman paintings that ranged from like, uh, I think 1909 through, um, 1950. And I layered those into a, to a painting called, uh, the called and the called out. Um, and that, you know, the, the images there that you see a lot of violence in those images. And there, a lot of the figures that violence is being done to are, uh, female figures in the paintings. And so um, I was kind of like thinking about the chaos of, of uh, things that are going on now when I was looking at that imagery. And that was very intentional on my part to look to a certain time in art history, a particular artist, particular subject matter, and to address it in the way that I did. Do you find people respond um, positively to, you said like your uh, paintings can be described as scary or violent? Do you find that most people respond positively understanding what you're trying to say with your paintings? Yeah. Well, I think that people will do everything they can to be polite. <laughs> you know? I mean, like I think um, generally, yeah. I mean, I don't really, 
there aren't too many people who are going to walk right up to you and say, your paintings suck because of X, Y, and Z. Although I wish they did, because um, I think that's instructive, you know, to just be able to see how somebody is really seeing the work, you know, it's not too often you really get to see or really understand how someone really sees the work, you know. I mean, if you're posting things on Instagram, for example, like um, Instagram is not uh, a tool one uses to get the truth, you know, it's, you can use it to perpetuate the imagery in some way, and it could be a useful tool, but it's not reliable in terms of how people really feel about the work. So when I'm, you know, trying to ascertain how people feel about it, I mean, it's always kind of a, you're always sort of guessing, you know, you hope if they say something nice that it's sincere, but, you know, more than saying something nice is, uh, you can tell when somebody has said something really specific, they have a very specific response to it. And, um, uh, then you know that it hit a nerve, that it actually did affect them in some sincere way. And I think, and this isn't just about me or my work. I think this is probably true for most of us. I think that's probably a minority of people for most of us. I think they're probably, we're lucky if we have a few people who really like get it and really understand it and um, appreciate where you're coming from, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's okay. I think you just need to, um, you just need to know that, you know, that, you know, if, if somebody comes to your show and says something nice, that's great, but it doesn't really necessarily mean much one way or another, you know, how how to um, sort of uh, get those conversations going where somebody will really reveal how they're looking at it as that's an art form itself. Definitely. I think there's something really, I don't know, interesting too, when someone may not love your work right away, but you can tell they're affected by it. You can tell like, maybe it hit a nerve and that means they got it. And that's what we talked a lot about um, with Ryan on his uh, anti-violence collection was people would leave angry, but it mean it meant they got it. So even though they didn't love it right away, they still understood it. And that was powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I try to make the work too in a particular way where I know that uh, all the stuff that's up my nose is not, not everybody's going to care or really want to get involved to that level. And also it's not necessarily evident in the work. Um, So I can, I can explain what I'm thinking about when I'm making a work, but that doesn't necessarily, even if I'm explaining to somebody what I'm thinking about when I'm making a piece, that doesn't mean that like I have like the authority to even ultimately tell them what it's about. You know what I mean? Like if they have a, a visceral response to it one way or another, um, they get it for all intents and purposes. Um, as far as like the specificity of like, you know, whatever art history, metaphysics, mumbo jumbo that I have going on in there, that's like, you know, that stuff is there if you want to um, look at it a little longer, have a conversation or whatever, but um, it, it doesn't, it shouldn't hopefully have to depend on it. When I was um, doing research about you and your work, um, a lot of times some of the articles said that you were very research-based and would take a lot of time to research rather than just um, start painting. You had to to make almost even like smaller um, prototypes of the pieces before going to the bigger piece. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about your process and maybe like how long it takes and if there's steps? Yeah. 
<clears throat> yeah, that is, I have been making these smaller studies for the past couple years. Yeah. Um, it wasn't something I did so much before, mm, like 2016, I would say, but since then I've been doing that. Um, if we use the, um, painting, the call and the called out that I was just talking about that looks at the historical Max Beckman paintings. Um, basically what I've done is each one of these panels that are, that, uh, comprise these studies are um, 12 by 16 inches each. So I, I'm looking at these um, paintings by Max Beckman and I'm making a kind of um, an altered kind of study of, of those works. Um, and I'll make uh, one study for each of those paintings. And then what I'm doing is um, uh, enlarging it. Basically, so I'm I'm making that I'm recreating that study at uh, eight and a, eight by eight and a half feet on this canvas, and um, so I basically recreate it pretty um, faithfully, and the reason for that is because historically I was kind of a realist painter, and uh, I got to a point where I the results were just too predictable, and I couldn't really surprise myself, so I figured out that if I could um, make these kinds of studies that are done with um, ink on, on Duralar at a small scale, that a lot of like sort of um, unpredictable things would happen. And then when I was looking at that and recreating it at a large scale, I was still using that same kind of realist skill set. It's just that I was using it towards something which in the first place didn't look realistic. Um, and then what I could do is uh, create these layers between each one of these images on the large canvas. And when I paint the new painting on top of it, I paint the whole second painting, say. I've got one whole painting, I've covered the canvas. I completely cover that. I make a second whole painting on top of the same canvas. And then I start stripping away that second layer to reveal the original layer that was underneath it. So at that stage in the process, I've got two layers that are both visible at the same time in, in pieces. And then I can do that however many times I want. Three layers, four layers. Um, the most I've done is nine layers deep oh, uh, oh my god that piece has <laughs> got to be so heavy they get heavy they do um I, I i did a painting not too long ago called six days in the night so that was um plain air painting actually where i was painting in daytime for six days and then i did one at night and then i i layered all of those so that's seven layers you know and, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, what happens in that erosion process is that uh, the more layers you have, the more abstracted it gets, the, um, the more kind of frenetic feeling it is as well. Uh, so, yeah, that that weighs a lot. <laughs> they get heavy. Dang. Uh, <laughs> I love. So one thing that so I like Instagram because you can find artists, but one thing that Instagram can't always show you and I, mainly with your work is I'm sure there's so much that goes into like the texture and the layering that you just don't get to see through a photograph. You really have to be there in person to see like, I, I know that you talked about like, uh, well, you haven't talked about it. I did research and, uh, you like the cracks in the painting from like using latex paint and you <laughs> just don't get to see that in through Instagram. Yeah, I was doing that. I stopped doing that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was doing, I stopped doing that because, uh, it would, it was not, uh, 
it wouldn't stay together for very long. There are ways that I can create cracks now um, that, uh, you know, once it cracks to a certain level, it will stop cracking after that. But yeah, there, you know, all that stuff is, is in the work, all those little artifacts, you know, um, you know, I like uh, the paintings to look a little bit like um, they've been pretty beaten up, you know, they maybe have uh, been through some weather or they've been run over or something like that, you know. Uh, I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> I think it's just like, you know, it's, it's almost like a, when you meet somebody who, you know, has like lived some like life experience because like, you know, they've got like their eyes look in two different directions and like they're, uh, you know, they've got these crazy hairs growing out of their eyebrows and, uh, you know, they walk with a limp or something like that. And you're like, oh, that person's been through something, you know, like I want the paintings to be the same way. Like when they walk into a room, you're like, well, they, they've, uh, they've been to hell and back before they arrived here. That yeah. painting has lived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, I know why it is. It's because um, I feel like so much of what gets celebrated uh, in contemporary art is just super slick and shiny. And there's nothing wrong with that in of itself. I think I just, myself personally, that's not what I want out of a painting. So I think it's sort of like a reaction against that in some way. Which is, I think, very interesting because you're yeah, you like that. are completely right. Uh, you know, shiny, sparkly things <laughs> are aesthetically pleasing, whereas you know maybe darker, muddier, yeah, uh, violent, scary things aren't always uh, the first thing that people go for. But I think that they're more interesting than most. Absolutely. So you have um, a couple shows coming up. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? The work that I'm making now is for a show in London with the unit London. Um, it's a gallery that I've started working with. Um, I don't know. Not that it's, it's pretty recent, but um, it's my first show with them. And um, that will open July 31st. Um, I'm pretty sure I got that date right. Um, so that, that, that's what I'm working toward. That's what's taking all my attention right now. Do you, are you, uh, I'm assuming you're shipping all your paintings from New Mexico to London, <laughs> not Arizona. <laughs> no, maybe they'll make it stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I do. And, uh, it's, it's funny. I, I, I've, uh, it, it took some doing there. There's nobody in town who was prepared to ship these things. And so I've definitely had to create other ways of doing it. Because uh, you paint big. Yeah, that's right. That, like the largest, the largest pieces for this show are eight by eight and a half feet. And um, sometimes the work can get up to like 10 by 12 feet or something like that. Um, hey. uh, yeah, we, I mean, for ones this size, I'll ship these rolled and they'll have them restretched over there. Okay. And it's something that we've been doing for a while already. So it works out pretty well. Will you be able to go out to London for the opening? Yes. Oh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm excited about it. They, you know, I don't know if you follow them on Instagram at all, but they, you know, they're one of these galleries that has this kind of massive Instagram following. And uh, they really, you know, opening nights there. I've seen, I've never been myself, but I've seen pictures on there. Uh, quite an ordeal. They really go all out. Um, 
So it's not, uh, you know, it's not a, a situation I find myself in often, but I, I'm excited to go out there. Do you enjoy art openings as the uh, <laughs> solo artists? Um, yeah, I think there's some part of me that does just in the sense that like, you know, you get to hang this work outside of your studio for the first time and, um, you know, get some initial responses to it. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, how many times are you going to get an evening where people are all there having something to do with you? You know, I mean, it's something to be grateful for if it happens once a year or something like that, you know, Um, or your birthday. (laughs) Yeah. there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, anytime I have an opening, uh, I'm certainly grateful to be there and grateful to the people who've shown up and everything like that. Um, it, I, I do get stressed out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I, I, you know, I have some social anxiety and, um, you know, to be able to talk in an opening, typically, you know, you have to enter, they have to interrupt your conversations and so on. And, um, Mm -hmm. juggling people and attention and all that I find to be quite stressful. And, uh, I often find myself not knowing what to say when somebody has made a comment of one kind or another, just because it's so loud and my attention is so kind of diverted. I try to Mm -hmm. kind of create this tunnel vision thing where like, if I'm talking to somebody, I try to look them very intensely in the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) If I like wander for one second, like I know that somebody's like going to be almost like, like I'm a waiter that they're calling or something like that. You know, like (laughs) I'm sure you guys have been in this situation. It's just, you know, I don't know. How do you deal with it? I'm Mine. not. <laughs> I'm not Mine an artist. <laughs> I just attend and drink the wine. <laughs> I definitely. Uh, I drink wine, and then uh, I think. Uh, so I'm married, and my partner Tyler is very confident in talking about my art, which is nice. Because uh, I'm very similar. It's hard to talk about your artwork. And yeah. you, when yeah. you're pressed with a question, you don't always have the exact thing that you wanted to say but he just swoops in and knows exactly what I'm trying to say which is always super nice that's what you need that's it right there you know um well uh my fiance Maya Resnick and I are are both artists and so we're at each other's shows all the time so whoever show it is is like the other one's job to be sort of like take some key pictures hold the drink for the other person because you know their dealer is pulling them by the arm or something like that you know like there's there's the time when you have your own show and then there's the time where you're the cheerleader for the other one i i like exactly yeah yeah how is that dating another artist or being engaged to another artist i mean artists have a stereotype of being very emotional is it like a hyper emotional relationship (laughs) i don't know i just i find it so fascinating yeah, it's totally a hyper emotional relationship. <laughs> yeah, um, it is because, and that's good because um, I, you know, uh, you know, you're not gonna. It's not that easy to find somebody who's gonna like just put up with constant kind of uh, emotional uh, distress, as it were. You know, but we we understand that about each other. Like we understand that we're both kind of wired in this way. You know, and that. Uh, makes it good most of the time because it's not necessarily happening to both of us at the same time so the other can kind of be there for the other one you know um the thing that people will always bring up are like jealousies and things like that you know professional Mm -hmm. jealousies and um i think that if you can survive like the first couple years of a relationship uh 
knowing that that's going to come up, then you're probably fine after that. But I do think that that, that can be intense for a lot of people and that they, they may not, they may have a hard time being a, in a couple relationship, you know? That would be so hard. I could never date another event producer. (laughs) (laughs) But I know people do it. And I, uh, I have respect for, for them. Yes. Because it's gotta be difficult. Cause I know for me, like my art is number one priority. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So it'd be hard to have a significant other. That's like, no, no, no. My art is Is number one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I am actually divorced. So my ex-wife was not an artist. And um, being with an artist now, we've been together, Maya and I have been together for six years. Uh, it's it's a really, really great thing. Um, just to be able to understand each other like that. And uh, I think, well, one key thing I think is that um, we were fans of the other's work before we ever met. I think that's great. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. So that means like, you know, I, I wouldn't know what to do if like uh, I was dating an artist and I actually really didn't like her work, you know, and uh, or she didn't like mine. I think that'd be difficult. But I yeah, think there's, you do? <laughs> there's this like there's this way in which like I think our belief in what the other is doing is like deeply authentic. And so we really, really want to be there for the other, you know, so it, it makes it very good. Can I ask how you guys met? Well, we met at a group show that she was in in San Francisco. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess that was the first time we met. Uh, sometime shortly after that, um, I was doing an interview-based project, and so uh, I asked her to, I asked to interview her for this project, and that was a way. That was a not so sneaky way I could sort of. <laughs> yeah, that's super smooth. Actually, I'd be so impressed. <laughs> Well, the best part of it was that the interview itself took place in like a jail cell. See, I was at this residency in this gallery that used to be an S&M dungeon. And, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, it was called Alter Space in San Francisco. Um, and oh uh, I was doing a residency there at the time. And uh, I, I had a bunch of people do interviews there. So it was, I wasn't being creepy. Like there were lots of male, female, lots of people were coming into the jail cell to uh, to do interviews. But um she was she was one of them. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And you guys did a, a residency together, right? Yeah. Well, so um, the first thing that we ever did together was in 2013. Really, only three months after we started dating, it was kind of crazy. We um, we went to Jordan to visit Syrian refugee camps with uh, the activist Patch Adams. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's like this uh, doctor slash activist and he has uh, the Gesundheit Institute and these clowns go around the world. Um, diff- basically people who've been refugees or um, whose home was ravaged by a natural disaster or something like that. Um, he had known Maya from a while back because Maya is a Bosnian refugee and he basically said to her if she ever wanted to come and do something like that, that she was invited and by then we were together, so we both went. And then while we were visiting refugee camps, then we also went to Europe. And um, we worked on this book project together called Drift for three months. We did like a Kickstarter for it. And that was our first kind of collaborative thing. 
And since then, we've done different residencies together, uh, one in France two summers ago. Um, and um, now we're here in New Mexico because of a residency, the Roswell Artisan Residency Program that was for a year last okay. year. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right. I need to circle back for a second. Did you say clowns? Clowns, yes. Sorry. Clowns visiting refugees? So the the clowns are... Um, I'm going to title this podcast S&M and Clowns. <laughs> Great title. I support that. With Josh Agler. <laughs> Um, we, we were the clowns. Um, Maya and I, what we really did was we would, um, draw and do watercolors and stuff like that, mainly with women and children um, Okay. in the refugee camps. Um, other of Patch Adams clowns are say musicians or just entertainers. I mean, a lot of them actually are clowns. They're, you know, like professional entertainers. Wow. Wait, so do you have like a red nose and a a fro? Yeah, that is a trademark of patches. Everyone has to wear the red nose. And in fact, oh, he, encourages, okay. he encourages everyone to wear it like just in their daily lives. Patch wears his red nose every day of his life. I'm not kidding. This uh, is fascinating. The, so in the 90s, um, Robin Williams played Patch Adams in a movie. I don't know. I've if seen the movie. Yeah. 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 So there's there's a real guy, Patch Adams, who's... Um, Far more eccentric than uh, Robin Williams could have ever portrayed him. You'd think that maybe Robin Williams would overdo it, but I would say that it was underplayed. Uh, he's he's very, very eccentric and a really beautiful, wonderful man who has dedicated his life to this. Uh, so That's we, amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. We were lucky to, um, to come along with him on this. It was uh, a beautiful and difficult thing to do. Wow. Super, super cool. Thank you for um, explaining that more. Yeah. I have a really random question for you that I can't not ask you uh, because I found a video of you talking about horses. You sound like such a stalker I, in this I did. podcast. She's done more research on you than anyone. It's because you have videos. I could like sit back and watch the video. Um. But you were like so passionate about horses, and <laughs> I don't know if you're still passionate about horses, but you well, were real passionate. So, so that was um, a, a video project done by um, Kiva Singh and Micah Stewart, um, and they had a little series going called Ink and Other, um, where they would interview artists, and I was, I think, their second guest they ever had. And um, she, uh, she's got this kind of effervescent personality, you know, like uh, um, it's something about the way she asks questions <laughs> very, very much like encourages you to be as enthusiastic in return, you know, so. <laughs> I need this trait. <laughs> you notice that I had a lot of horses in my paintings, like from like 2012 to 13, there were uh, quite a few horses that turned up. And uh, so she just wanted to know about that. And uh, I was talking. It's interesting because, yeah, I was talking about how horses are often the best part of a painting, like a old master painting or something like that. Yeah. Um, like making them and, and whatnot. And um, I don't have like any special connection to horses other than just liking to paint them. But um, I'm also aware of like their other kinds of, you know, historical and political kinds of 
implications and meaning and so on. I mean, a horse can be a very used in a very um, authoritative way, you know. Um, and uh, so a lot of times I was looking at horses in that way. I was actually kind of using them for political commentary in a way. But um, I think we were just mainly in that interview focusing on like how they were painted. <laughs> you know? I love it. I, I was fascinated. Yeah. I was like, I <laughs> must ask him. <laughs> well, in New Mexico, though, they're all around us. We live in um, around farmland. You know, we live in this small town. And um, especially when we were at the residency, you know, I would see horses every day because every time I'd go out to the mailbox, we had this really long drive, this long driveway. Um, there would be all these horses and I would bring carrots out to them and feed them and whatnot. But I, uh, that was really good for me to do that. It's really, I, yeah, I can see why a lot of people get obsessed with horses who have been through like trauma or, you know, or having, uh, dealing with depression or so on. Um, a lot of people get very interested in horses at that point. And I can understand why. Um, so I have a kind of a, a dumb question. What does it mean to be in residency? Oh yeah. Um, well, do you know about artist residencies in general? Uh, I'm sure Catherine does. I do not. (laughs) I love that you asked the question. Yeah. It's my job. (laughs) A lot of people listening have the same question. So, um, there are, I don't know how many there are. Maybe, maybe Catherine knows. I don't know, but there's, there's thousands, uh, throughout the world, I would say. Um, And they're all different. So you could, um, if you wanted to, you could pay a lot of money to basically have like an art vacation in some villa in Italy or something like that and pay like $2,000 to go there for three weeks and drink wine and draw a little. And that would be considered a residency. Um, And then on the exact opposite end of the spectrum would be like something that a museum would ask you to do that you can't um, actually apply for. Somebody has to nominate you for and they pay you and... uh, you make something. Um, and then what we, what, what the Roswell artists and residency program here is, is, um, a really neat, unique program in the country. Um, it was very good for me. Um, it is a year long to live in Roswell, New Mexico, which is a small town and, uh, you're pretty isolated and, uh, you get a free house and free studios and you get a monthly stipend. And then on top of it, you get uh, a little bit of money for materials and um, a museum exhibition um, at some point during your uh, tenure here. So it's a really good one. Wow, and, that's uh, amazing. It, it, I mean, it changed my life. It's just one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And um, uh, yeah, I couldn't say enough good about it. That's really awesome. And to be able to, I mean, exhibit in a museum um, and everything. And I'm curious. So when you say some of them are like museum based where they come find you and you do your residency, um, and they are asking you to paint something, is it asking you to paint something in kind of an artist assistant way or asking you to do like, I think, what was it? The one museum asked to do all the portraits of the president and then one was picked Would that both of those be considered a residency or. Well, no, they, you would be commissioned to do something for them. Okay. It'd be granted it. It would be in their permanent collection. So they're, they're basically just giving you the, the space to make something for them. Wow. But usually it's in your own style. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That's right. awesome. That's huge. Dang, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa's fully impressed. <laughs> it, was, it was a very, very good opportunity. I was really surprised that I got it. I love it. That's awesome. I'm stunned. 
<laughs> Can you give some advice to artists that are maybe just starting out, how to be successful, any tips or anything like that? You know, it, I, it's funny that you ask me that because um, I'm always reevaluating what I'm doing, you know, uh, and I have a lot of questions about meaning and purpose and all of that stuff, as you can imagine. So when I'm thinking about a question like that, it's actually a super broad question. You know, it'd be kind of hard to give anybody advice without knowing them. Like, uh, you know, because there are really a lot of ways to live a life with where art is at the center of your life. And I would say that's, that's what it is really more than it really is a career. I mean, you would like to have a career probably. Um, but at the same time, even if you did have a career, there are many ways in which having it could be not even good for you. So uh, it's um, that advice really should be individual to the, to the person in many ways. I mean, I would probably say to anybody who's young, like a student who's, I don't know, in their early 20s or something like that, that uh, honestly, I would almost say, like, don't get too obsessed with career. I would say focus on the work. This, this podcast, you know, your podcast is kind of in the minority in the sense that you talk about any number of things in art in the art world. If you look at, like, all the art podcasts that exist, some, uh, you know, I was looking at this the other day, but, like, when I was just looking at the list of them, it seemed like maybe 60% of them were, like, art business, specifically podcasts, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, to be focusing on the, on the work itself, on art history, on like knowing what's going on in your world, art wise and outside of it. And then there's a way in which probably the career would just end up following. I'm not saying that like you can just stay in your studio or at home and that anything is going to happen. But um, I really think that the artists that are in the best position are the ones that are really looking um, to their work primarily and everything else secondarily. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when, beyond that, like if I'm talking to somebody who's 35 or something like that and is like, you know, been working a day job for 10 years and is like, you know, I want to, you know, get this particular gallery or something like that. You know, those, those are more like specific questions. And then maybe there's, I don't know, more of a business response to that that I could give. But I'm, I'm not really, in the general sense, I feel like I'd almost feel like I'd fuck somebody up by giving them bad advice. <laughs> did you, uh, for the gallery in London, did they find you or did you reach out to them? They did find me. Yeah. Um, they did. Yeah. They found me on Instagram. That was, uh, well, that's not the first time. It wasn't the first time I'd been asked to show through Instagram, but it was the first time that I was, <laughs> it was the first time it was an inquiry that I felt like I could kind of take seriously. You know, there's a lot of people on Instagram that will ask you to do this or that thing, but you got to be careful. Um, yeah, they, they did. They reached out through Instagram and um, that's, they do a great job for me. I was so, I think I'm, they're quite young is the thing too. They're in their late twenties. Um, Johnny Burt and Joe Kennedy. Um, I think they're about, 28 or something like that at this point. And um, so they're a lot more savvy than I am about how to use Instagram and stuff like that. So I think because I was, I think I had like kind of a negative attitude toward Instagram when I heard from them. And um, so 
I didn't know if it was something that I could take seriously, just specifically because it was through Instagram. I thought that meant that you couldn't take it seriously, but I was really wrong. And, uh, and, and actually since then, I mean, I've interacted with a lot of people through Instagram. I've made sales. I've had, you know, been in shows and so on because of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's probably a good starter advice for somebody who's ready to start thinking about their careers. Like it, it turns out that that Instagram is a pretty valuable professional tool. Mm-hmm. So I have one final question for you um, that we like to ask artists, but do you have a favorite tool that you use in your studio? Like it could be anything. It could be like a pencil yeah. or I have a paint a, or I have whatever. A I have a 20 year old palette knife called Christopher. And and, uh, I can't do without him. Uh, He's I'll send you a picture. Please. We'll post it. (laughs) Christopher. He's been good. I mean, I've had a lot of other palette knives since, and uh, they just, they just don't do it the same way Christopher does. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Please send us a photo. (laughs) It's amazing. Do you only use uh, palette knives or do you use uh, paintbrushes too? I don't know. I, I use uh, brushes more than I use palette knives, but um, okay. but, I, but I have a few that I – actually, the way that I um, – I'm using a palette knife to pull out the layers. So it, mm. it's kind of a digging tool for me as well. Awesome. Well, great. Thank you so much yeah. for uh, taking the time to be on our podcast. You were fantastic. Amazing. Super interesting. Um, and you have to let us know when you're in Los Angeles next so we can get together or if you're exhibiting, we can come to your oh, show. Yeah, I certainly will. Um, I doubt it'd be too far off. I'll let you know when that happens. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. And um, we'll be sharing your handle and everything. And it's just been so great chatting with you. It was great chatting with you both, too. Thank you really very much for having me on the show. Awesome. All right. Well, bye, everyone. Don't forget to follow us on Art World Podcasts on Instagram or theartworldpodcast.com or on Facebook. I think we just – Do people use Facebook? Some yeah, people use Facebook. Okay. <laughs> All We're right. We're on there, too. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.